First book of Samuel, chapter 14. And the verse 1. Now it came to pass upon a day. I want you to notice that phrase. That Jonathan, the son of Saul, said unto the young man that bare his armor, Come, and let us go over to the Philistine garrison that is on the other side. But he told not his father. And Saul tarried in the uttermost part of Gibeah under a pomegranate tree, which is in Migron. And the people that were with him were about 600. Saul was back in his home territory, Gibeah, as far back as he could go with 600 men with the life scared out of them. That's all they could offer in the day of crisis. And Ahiah, the son of Ahitub, Ichabod's brother, the son of Phinehas, the son of Eli, the Lord's priest in Shiloh, wearing an ephod. And the people knew not that Jonathan was gone. And between the passage by which Jonathan sought to go over unto the Philistine garrison, there was a sharp rock on the one side and a sharp rock on the other side, and the name of the one was Bozaz and the name of the other, Sinai. The forefront of the one was situate northward over against Michmash, and the other southward over against Gibeah. And Jonathan said to the young man that bare his armor, Come and let us go over unto the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be, or the translation of that is, it, it will be that the Lord will work for us. For there is no restraint to the Lord to save by many or by few. And his armor bearer said unto him, Do all that is in thine heart. Turn thee, behold, I am with thee, according to thy heart. Could I stop a wee moment there? That's the blessed meaning of success when you have people in unity together. These two men, their hearts are the same. And when you have a flock of believers and an oversight in the church, and the hearts are the same, where there's no division. This man was fully behind Jonathan. And we need men fully behind us today. You need that in the church. You need it in a marriage. You need complete unity together if you're going to go on and be successful. Verse 8. Then said Jonathan... Behold, we will pass over these men, and we will discover ourselves unto them, if they say thus unto us, Tarry until we come to thee, then we will stand still in our place, and will not go up into them, unto them. 
But if they say thus, come up unto us, then we will give up for the Lord. We will go up for the Lord, have delivered them into our hand. And this shall be a sign unto us. Jonathan's putting out a sign to God, which we uh, are right to do at times. And both of them discovered themselves unto the garrison of the Philistines. And the Philistines said, Behold, the Hebrews have come forth out of the holes. Remember, they had fled to the rocks and the mountains. And they're mocking them now. They've come out of the holes where they'd hid themselves. And the men of the garrison answered Jonah and his armor bearer and said, Come up to us, and we will show you something. And Jonathan said unto his armor bearer, Come up after me, for the Lord hath delivered them into the hand of Israel. And Joshua climbed up upon his hands, upon his feet, and his armor bearer after him, and they fell before Jonathan, and his armor bearer slew after him. And that first slaughter which Jonathan and his armor bearer made was about twenty men within as much as a half an acre of land which a yoke of oxen might plough. And there was a trembling in the host, in the field, and among all the people in the garrison as is of the Philistines, and the spoilers, the big boys, the top boys, they all trembled, and the earth quaked. There was an earthquake. No word of global warming here. An earthquake. Nothing to do with global warming, to do with God. There was an earthquake. So it was a very great trembling. God shook the earth. And if you read on down this chapter, you see he not only moved on the earth, he moved, he moved on the insects. He got the bees to provide honey for them. See, we have a mighty God this morning. And there was a trembling, read it again, in the host in the field among all the people, the garrison and the spoilers, and the tremble and the earthquake, so it was a very great trembling. And the watchmen of Saul and Gibeah and Benjamin looked and said, Behold, the multitude melted away and went on beating them down. And then said Saul unto the people that were with him, Number now and see who has gone from us. And when they had numbered, behold, Jonathan and his armor bearer were not there. And Saul said unto Ahiah, Bring hither the ark of God. For the ark of God was at that time with the children of Israel. And it came to pass that while Saul talked unto the priest that the noise that was in the host of the Philistines went on and increased. And Saul said unto the priest, Withdraw thine hand. And Saul and all the people with him assembled themselves. And they came to the battle. And behold, a very man's sword was against his fellow, and there was very great discomfiture. We'll read the, end the reading there, and we know that the Lord will bless to us the public reading of his own precious word. How are we going to get out of the mess but we, the evangelical church in Ulster, have got ourselves into. That's the question I'm asking this morning. And with the help of God, I hope to partly answer it, for I wouldn't have time to answer it all. But I want to answer it as the Lord has shown me from these scriptures here that we have before us this morning. Now, if for any reason you disagree that we're in a crisis, a dilemma, or that the church in Ulster is in retreat, 
All I can say to you is this, that you're blinkered or you're deceived or worse still, you're deluded. In fact, I would go further than that and I would say that you're not familiar or au fait at all with church history. You must know absolutely nothing of the exploits of the church down through the centuries, the times when she was a church as terrible as army with banners. The sad thing about this generation of believers is that many think that all is well and all is normal in the church. Not as because simply they don't know any better. Don't know any better. We think that this is the norm and, and we, are, we are told that this is the norm by many in our pulpits. That this is all that we have and this is all we can expect and this is the way things are going to be. But I say sadly, few of the younger generation, and I'm speaking not to myself and I will be speaking to myself later, sadly a few are interested and concerned to search out what Things once were in the days that were gone. We're too busy. We're like the felon, the kings, too busy here and there. We're so more busy with our iPads and our smartphones and everything's smart. We're so busy with our iPhones and our earphones and our Twitters and our tweets that the message of the apostles and the reformers and the covenanters and the Puritans don't resonate we're ignorant of all the mighty works of God in the past. I reiterate what I said here, and I opened this short series of messages a few Sundays ago, that the Church of Jesus Christ in Ulster, 50, in the 50s and in the 60s and in the 70s, bears little resemblance to it today. That's so sad. It's difficult to find any time since the birth of the church that the cascading and the downgrading has been as rapid. Morally, spirit, doctrinally, and spiritually. Especially, especially in the last year or so. Now, if you don't agree with that, well, you'll have to argue with the Lord Jesus Christ because he said in the church at Laodicea, which is the church that represents this hour and day in which we live, the last of the seven churches, Jesus says they're miserable, wretched, poor, blind, and naked. I'll spew you out of my mouth. That's what Jesus said the church would be like just before his coming back. So you have to argue with him and Scripture. To say that we're on a slippery slope is an understatement. The boundless lines of evil are expanding daily and a fatalistic attitude is given to it and the devil's been allowed to do and do what almost he likes but there's no power in the church. I'm talking about the fundamental evangelical church. If a business was behaving and acting as the church acts, we'd be bankrupt and in liquidation long ago. 
If politicians were in the state that the church is in, we'd be deselected. Wouldn't be a reshuffle that would be needed, it would be a removal. If industry was limping along with the deficit that the church has, they'd be closed up and the workers would be dismissed. It wouldn't be viable. I have a Volvo 2011, I think she is, up there. Got a, got a letter there a couple of weeks ago from headquarters, the Volvo headquarters in Sweden. Calling your car up. Calling her back, there's a malfunction in her. It took them a long time finding it out. There's a malfunction in her and you'll have to present her back as a recall. Bring her up to Hearst Garage in Belfast. Do we let a look at her? I tell you, my friend, every pastor, every minister, every church and every denomination, fundamental churches in Northern Ireland, we need a recall. We need to get back to the owner. We need to get back to the blueprint. We need to get back to God. Oh, you're very hard today. Well, the simple reason, friends, is this, that we must face the facts. We need to stop the whole business until we get things right and we hear from God. Do you think these messages are easy to preach? Do you not think that I would just rather run with the stream of thing and get the internet boys hammering? And My friend, listen, we have got to face the facts. If the body politic of the church is going to be healed, she needs major surgery. And we cannot have major surgery until there's a diagnosis. There needs to be an identifying where to put the knife into there's no use in giving a cancer patient an aspirin. And some fella dying at the roadside to sing, he lives, he lives to him. Not going to cure him. We're not cured with courses. We need to get back to the fundamental reason of what's happening. The only reason that the Lord has not abandoned and forsook and wiped out his church for their sin, their iniquity, their transgression, and they're all different things, by the way, and their unfaithfulness and their stubbornness and their rebellion is because he's a covenant-keeping God. He has made a covenant with the church. He died for the church. He loved the church and gave himself for the church. He says, I will never leave thee or forsake thee. I have graven thee upon the palms of my hand, not on tablets of stone, but engraven upon the palms of the Almighty God's hand. He loves, he has chosen us. He loves us, we're his people. He loves us. He has promised, he has covenant promised that he'll build his church. He has promised that he will keep his people, no matter how bad they are, no matter how far back they went, no matter how sinful they were. My friend, he, come, he comes in his mercy and his grace and in his love. He purchased the church with his own blood. The history of the people of Israel and the history of the church 
If you read it and study it, the history of the church has always been when they have fallen, when they have failed, when they have rebelled, and they went low, and they have repented, and they've acknowledged their need, and they've wept and cried before God. He came, and he came and restored them again. That has always been the way. Come to the rescue. A bruised reed he shall not break. A smoking flax he shall not quench. And if you're here this morning as an individual and there's things in your life in the past and, and things that have happened and you've failed God and you've let him down and you're a believer and you've sinned and you've for God. Listen, he loves you with an everlasting love this morning. And he wants you to come back this morning. And he's here to receive you. If you repent and say, Lord, I'm sorry, I repent of my sin. He'll, he'll take you back. He's waiting for you to come back. He's a loving, gracious God with his arms outstretched to the church this morning. But the rebellion... The rebellion is so fierce that they'll not listen to him. And they'll not listen to this message either, but I'm going to preach the message that God has given me. In these Old Testament scriptures, we're taking 13 and 14 of Samuel as our text. The nation was at the lowest ebb that it could be. The power of the ungodly Philistines had surrounded them with 33. 300,000 chariots and men in number of the sea. There were 600 trembling men with Saul. They were all curdled up under a pomegranate tree as far back as they could get into the land and they were shaking and they were trembling and they are saying, it's all over and it's done. And then God moved. God moved. Look at chapter 14 and verse 1. I want you to put your eyes on that. And I want you to take these wee words for they're powerful, these wee words. Now! It came to pass upon a day. You let that sink in. Now it came to pass upon a day. There was a certain day, a certain time, a certain hour when an intervention came. Friend, this is, this is wonderful. I have... Studied revivals as much as anybody. This is wonderful. There's a, there's a day. There's a time of intervention by God. This was a day here different from every other day. Now there was a time. This was different. This was different from, this was a day in the annals of the history of Israel that's so great that we're preaching about it this morning. What happened on this day? We're preaching about it this morning. There's always been days in the histories of nations that stand out more than any other nation. I haven't time this morning to talk about Israel alone. 1914, when the British General Allenby marched in onto Jerusalem and that November day, and actually he went up through the same place. They called it the Jonathan Plan. They went up through these two rocks and took Jerusalem and put the Brits out of Jerusalem. That was the day in 1914. Then there was 1948 when she became a nation, that powerful day. Then in 1967 when they drove back them out of the East Bank and drove them back as far as Egypt, the enemies of Syria and Egypt. Then there was the days in the nation of America, Pearl Harbor, 9-11, J.F. Kennedy, there's days that stand out, days in 
in the inner nations there's been days. I don't know if any of you remember the 19th of October, 66, in Aberfan, Aberfan in Wales, where 166 school children were smothered with a mountain of, of coal dust that came down on the school, a day that Wales will always remember. Dunblane, a day that Scotland will remember. Hillsborough, a day that England will remember. Remember nationally and things that... Oma! A day we all remember. Days in personal life. And you're going to hear tonight about a testimony. A day that changed the life of a family forever. And there are days, my friend. You lift the phone when I was talking to Dan and Jennifer, contacting them about Stephen. Dan says to me, you lift the phone, it's either good news or bad news. And we don't know what a day will bring forth. We don't know. God has a day to intervene in 1904 in the revival, 1949 in the Hebrides. So my friend, there's a there's a time. Now, secondly, I want you to see here, there's a truth. The only way that we can back, go back, get the church back on its road again, and the New Testament church back on its road again, is back to the truth. We have to go to the old paths. And I say this very humbly this morning, and I don't say it to be smart or to get laughs, but I say that the gags and the gimmicks and the gymnastics are long over. Sensationalism, emotionalism, entertainment and jazz. The jazz up of the, jazz it up in some way or another to get the people into it. It's not working. I'm hearing of so-called evangelical church. We need to get back to the truth. I'm hearing of so-called evangelical church that have advertised yoga at sunrise meetings. 5 a.m. on a hillside meet and contort and twist about for, for, for an hour and they can't even come to the prayer meeting and they can't even sit a half an hour in church. There's something wrong. Another one I got was Alpha in the afternoon. Gather up in the afternoon and get around Alpha and have a cup of tea and all the rest of it. It's not solving the problem and it's not the way back to God. Join us on Sunday evening for burgers, hot dogs, pony rides, face painting, weight loss seminars. Walk for Jesus. Jesus never asked us to walk for him. He asked us to walk with him. We need to get rid of all this stuff, my friend. And we need to realize that there's a holy God. We need to realize that souls perishing every day in front of us. And we need to realize that we're in the kingdom for such a time as this and we're going to the judgment seat and every believer will go to the judgment seat and every pastor and every minister that's lying up retired playing golf, he'll go to the judgment seat and give an account. He'll give an account to God what you're doing with your flock and your people and we'll be dealing with that next week. I tell you there's a day of accountability coming. We have let the church of Jesus Christ slip into something that's not even like a church. And if God spares me whatever days he spares me for, I'll stand against it and I'll stand for truth. 
Oh, we don't mention the name of the Lord in our church now. We just call him George. You think that I'm, well, I'll tell you the source. We just call him George, so we don't want to offend anybody. Let me tell you that the, that, that the Muslims don't call Allah George. They call him the Mighty One. And you say a word against them and they'll take the head of you and they'll put your children into boiling tar. George. We don't call him him or her now. We just call it a nit. Is it any wonder Jeremiah says, I weep, I weep in the secret place. Friend, let me say to you, it's blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. It's a betrayal of truth. It's an insult of God. It's an affront to the cross. Whenever Jesus wept over Jerusalem on the colt of the fall of the ass going down on Palm Sunday, and he turned round over to you, I tell you, Jerusalem wasn't nowhere near the state that the church is in today. And when he swung round on the colt of the ass and looked out over Jerusalem, it says that Jesus, Jesus wept, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often would I have gathered thee as a hen gathers a brood under a wing, but you wouldn't come. Three times the Savior wept. That's the strongest word for the weeping of the three. It's stronger than just Gethsemane. It's stronger at the grave of Lazarus. It's the strongest word was when he wept over Jerusalem. He actually revulsed. He shook. The old donkey shook under my Savior. Oh, Jerusalem. Who's weeping today? Who's burdened today? Who's concerned today? How often would I have gathered thee, but you wouldn't come. You wouldn't come. If we're, going to, if we're going to climb out of this pit, and we're going to get up like Jonathan and the armor bearer through these rocks into victory, and out of depression and despair, we need to face the truth. There are true truths in this portion here. Listen to them. How applicable they are today. There's two truths. First of all, the people of God are in two camps. They have two mindsets. Saul and the 600 men have one mindset. And their mindset is that we're beat. We're finished. It's over. It's done. Just sit here and wait until they come and take us. Well, I can't read anything else into it. They fiddled about with an old, with an old Agabod thing that had the glory had departed and they tried to bring God into it. You can't bring God into it. They're shit, sitting trembling and shaking. And the mindset was, the mindset of Jonathan and the armor bears was, we will rise, we will fight, and we will face the enemy. Come, let us go over now, what a picture of the church this is today. If ever COVID done anything good that separated the church, there's two mindsets now abroad that wasn't abroad before in such a way that they are now since COVID came in. There are those out there this morning who says we just follow the scientists and we just follow what people say to us. We just follow Nolan on BBC and we, we just do what these people say. We, we, we just go the way of the, of the, of the, of the brilliant boys and the bright boys and but, but we don't follow God. Hear me. 
And there are those that say, well, we're going to follow God. We're going to go on with God. We're going to go through with God. We're not going to give in. We're going to fight. We're going to stand for the church. We're going to stand for the people of God. We're going to stand. We're not going to let the devil close us down, shut the churches, and have nothing more to do with the word of the gospel in this corner or anywhere else. We refuse. Well, there's two mindsets here. I don't know as many, although there's some more than 600 in Saul's camp today, let me tell you. Gathered under a tree, shaking and trembling, looking around them. They could, very, they could hear the snorting of the horses. They were only a few miles away. It's all over now. It's all done now. This is the end of it now. King Corona is dictating everything. It's all gone. Check the children out of school. Do whatever you can. It's all gone. Listen to the scientists. What about listening to God? What are we crying out to God? And I'm not saying, friend, this morning, I never said this is a serious business and we'll do all we can to keep that thing out of here. But we have to listen to God. The Jonathan says, come on, listen, we're going to go. We've had enough. I'm sick of this. Tell me, you sick of it this morning? And I'm not surprised that you young generations of Christians are not sick of us. What have you seen? Only hypocrisy and lying and fighting and marching and parading and drumming and shouting and hypocrisy and telling you to do this, telling you to do the others and telling you to wear this and telling you to wear that and them praying the hypocrite themselves. It's all gone. I am surprised that there's so many young people will be bothered with us at all. When they look at us, when they look at me, when they look at the way the thing we're leaving them, boy, we're leaving them, some inheritance of God doesn't work. God help you. And you take courage this morning because these were two young men. There were two young men. Jonathan was only 20. And the young armor bearer, it says here. And if there's any hope, it's for the young men and young women. And I'm investing in these young men and young women. And this Robert was last night only this place filled with them. God bless you, Robert. Yes. These were young men. Two mindsets here. Two mindsets. This is the mindsets of the church all down through the ages. You, you read Hebrews 11 and go into men like Noah, go into men like Gideon, go into those men in, in Hebrews 11. Those were men who says, we're going to stand. We're going to go on. We're going to go through. We're going to fight. That's, that's, that's what the scripture tells what a, what a mighty picture you have in of the children of Israel in Kadesh Barnea when they all came to Kadesh Barnea and Moses sent the spies out and the spies went over and they come back and they said, oh, oh, the giants, all oh, those giants. Big boys and over there and then we'll never be able to take it. We'll never, we'll never be, oh, there's pomegranates and there's honey and there's milk and there's all the rest of it and it's a great land and it's a good land but we have no hope of getting over. We're not going over. And two men stood forward and says, we're well able to take it. Caleb and Joshua. You always have that, my friend. That's a theme that runs through the Word of God. And if it is ever running through Ulster, it's running through the church. This is the fundamental church this morning. You either go one way or another. The time for fooling about and on one side or the other is over. You either come out onto the side of God or you don't. You either believe God or you don't. Too late for anything else. Doesn't matter what your father thinks. Doesn't matter what Jonathan's father thinks. I'm going to show you next week that Jonathan blamed his father for the troubled land. 
And I'll be on dangerous ground next week, but I don't care. I'm blaming the Father. I'm blaming this generation. I'm blaming myself for the trouble in the land. And I'll tell you why. And I repent of it and ask God to forgive me. They're well able to take it. I can't help but think of my brother Stuart Todd. And we're not exaggerating to say that he hasn't very long to go. And thank God he's on this side and he's standing out and he says, I want to see souls. I want to bring souls with me to glory. I want to see men and women, my neighbors and my brothers and my family all saved before I go to the glory. What a man. And that's why I'm in behind him and standing with him. What a man. There's a practical truth that was a, there's a practical truth that runs right through Scripture, but it's a promised truth, because in verse six, here's what he says. Listen, get this this morning. There's nothing too hard for the Lord to work with many or with few. This was a promise in Deuteronomy 30. Listen to the promise. Watch what he says in verse 6. He says, it may be, it will be that the Lord will work for us, that there is no restraint to the Lord to save by many or by, I tell you, that was faith in the midst of darkness. That was faith even the Father wouldn't turn against him. That was faith even the rest of the men turned against him. That was faith when nobody else will stand with him, only one man, the armor bearer, a young man. And he quoted, I'm convinced that he was going back to Deuteronomy 30. Don't turn to it. Listen to what it says. One shall chase a thousand and two ten thousand, will put ten thousand to flight. He literally believed those words. He went back to truth. That's where he got this from. I'm convinced. One shall chase a thousand and two shall put ten thousand to, to flight. He went back to the days of Judges. He went back to Gideon when God whittled them down from thousands to 300 men and went out and they conquered the Amalekites and he said what God has done against the Amalekites he can do against the Philistines and there's only two of us but God has promised he'll bless two of us so we're going to go. So there's the time and there's two, there's the truth. There's the tribe I'm fully convinced that when Jonathan watched this, when he watched a sick, surrendered army, when he considered the foolish leadership of his father, and 600 that were once good men all hemmed in, Surrounding Saul under a tree, sitting under a tree. He says, I'm tired of it all. This ought not to be. This is not the God of Israel, Jehovah. This is not the way God works in the past. This was not the way he worked in the judges for every time in the judges. When, when the enemy came in, they repented and they cried and God raised up a deliverer. And he mused, he mused upon his father's tribe and his tribe, the tribe of Benjamin. Now hear me this morning. 
And when he began to think of the tribe that he was from, the tribe of Benjamin, a patriotic fire burned within his soul. Remember Jacob when he was dying said about Benjamin, Benjamin is a ravening wolf in the morning, he shall devour the prey, and at night he shall divide the spoil. The ravening wolf. Boy, he says, we are coward. We are no more like the ravening wolf. We're like we mice huddled in the corner. And then Deuteronomy 33 and 12, listen to what it says. And I am convinced that this man, Benjamin, the beloved of God, shall dwell in safety by him. And the Lord shall cover him all the day long, and he shall dwell between his shoulders. That's a promised truth. It's a personal truth. He shall cover him. I tell you, Stephen Riddle can claim that this morning. He shall cover him. What else? All the day long. Aye, when you're sleeping at night, he's covering you. God only knows what he has covered you from last week. God only knows what he'll cover you from this week. He covered him. Oh, how often he's covered me. How foolish things one would have done and did do, and the Lord covered us. I tell you, he covers you this morning, mother. He'll cover your home too. He'll cover your wee children. Listen, listen to it again. Benjamin, the beloved of God, shall dwell in safety by him, and the Lord shall cover him all the day long. That's prophetical. But it's not only personal, and it's not prophetical, it's preserving. It's a preserving truth. He shall dwell between, safely between his, soldier, his shoulders. It's a preserving truth. Do you remember? It says, it says here, he shall dwell safely in his shoulders. In, in, in Isaiah we read that the, the, the government shall be upon his shoulder. There's no S on it. The whole world he carries on his shoulder. When he went out to lift in Luke 15, the sheep that went astray, he put it on his shoulders. There's a nest on it. All the day long he'll carry us. This man got these words into his mouth and into his heart and he believed them. He's from the tribe of Benjamin. Why should the tribe of Benjamin, why should we with the heritage that we have this morning be in the case, the state we're in? Why should we be? We go back to the early church and we talk about the apostles and the martyrs and the covenanters. Why should we be like we are this morning? Why should we be running scared in Ulster this morning? Why should there be hundreds of churches that have never opened their doors again this morning? He says, I'm from the tribe of Benjamin and I have a promise from God. Promise from God. And then he thought, as I'm closing, he's a thought of Ehud. He was from the tribe of Benjamin and Judges. Do you remember the left-handed boy Ehud? 
Do you remember that he made that, that, that he made a sword with two edges on it? He'd only one hand. We have two hands and we do nothing. He had only one hand. He was from the tribe of Benjamin. He made a sword with two edges and he went forward and he slew the Moabites. Oh, I tell you, he took queer power from that. If you had done it, I can do it. And you go through the word of God and go on and you'll see that, 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 that the tribe of Benjamin were like the wolf. Oh, I tell you, they're not like the lamb, they were like the wolf. What about Esther and Mordecai? They were from the tribe of Benjamin. <laughs> Mordecai says, I'm not bowing to Haman. I'm not bowing to this Antichrist. I'm not bowing down to him at the gate. I'm a Jew. And I'm from the tribe of Benjamin. I'm, I'm from the wolf flock. Or another he did. And God vindicated. What about Esther? How can I endure to see the people perish? If I go in before the king, I'll maybe die. If I die, I die. But I want to release my people. And she did. Oh, I tell you, time doesn't permit me to talk about the great Apostle Paul. He was from the tribe of Benjamin. <laughs> this one thing I do, pressing on towards the mark of the prize of the high calling, I fought with beasts at Ephesus. I tell you, he was from the wolf flock. We need wolves today. We need wolves in the flock today. Night and day, he says, with tears for three years, I warned the people of Ephesus to repent. Why do we not go back to, the, to our forefathers, the way past our, our, our fathers that are around about us today that have missed so much? Why do we not go way back to Wesley and Whitfield and Spurgeon? We have an awful heritage to go back to, my friend. We need to go back and meditate upon them. We are from that tribe. We are God's people. The time, the truth, the truth, the tribe. And next week, I haven't time this morning, we'll be dealing with the tragedy. He told not his father. It's a sad day when a son can't go to his father and tell him about, and talk to him about spiritual things. He knows well if he goes to this old carnal father that he'll not let him go and he'll persuade him from going. He knew that. So he tried to kill him. Saul tried to kill his own son later. Only for the people he would have. Full of carnality. As Nicholson says, there's a devil in him the size of a donkey. I tell you, son, can you go to your father and speak about spiritual things? Can you go to your father and say, Daddy, was the many in the prayer meeting last night? What are we just praying about? 
like father, like son. He told not his father. I wouldn't have been telling them either. You know, people said to me, people saying to me, I was out the other day visiting for this mission, people saying, how's all this blessing? What's all going on at the lifeboat? I hear this and I hear that. And I says, anything that's going on at the lifeboat is because of God. Nothing to be telling boys what's happening, what's doing, and who's coming, and who's saved, and who's not saved. He knows he to hear what's going on. I'm not interested in that. We're interested in what God's doing. He told not his father. And then afterwards, and this will be the gist of our message next week, my father has troubled the land. He's to blame. He's to blame. You know that God provided honey for the soldiers that were fighting in this battle? You know that he brought an earthquake? You know that he put the whole Philistines against one another till they fought with one another and killed one another until they fled? Just because two men says we're going up. Do you know that he, that, that, that the actual word is that there was, they were weak in the battle, they were weak and God provided food for them. He provided honey for them. And it says that the rock flowed with honey. Flowed with honey. And God sent that honey to strengthen them, but Saul wouldn't let them take the honey. And we'll deal with this next week. And you see, there's old caramel boys out there, and they'll keep the blessing back. The honey, as honey speaks about a lot of things in Scripture, speaks of Christ. You come next week. And he forbid them to take the food, the honey that God provided to strengthen them and to bless them and to finish the battle. And I want to say to those people, there's, there's a generation of ministers and preachers that are away out of the sea now, but then they, they held back the honey from the people. Whenever in your church did you hear of them calling for nights of fasting? Whenever in your church did you call did they call upon nights of prayer and nights of fasting and holding on to God? You know why they're not doing it? Because they're not doing it themselves. When did you last hear your minister saying to be saved is not enough, you need to go on and you need to go through with God and you need to be filled with the Holy Ghost and power? When do you hear that? That's the honey. That's the honey. That's where the strength and the power is. May God help us to learn more from these scriptures. And may God help us to see that if we're going to restore the church, if God's going to restore the church, he'll need young men. He'll need young men that will last on the truth Young men that will go back into their tribes and look at their forefathers behind and say, these men done it, we can do it. May God raise up some of you young men where we have faith. And may God show you his power. And may he heal in a day that there was a day 
there was a day in Ulster. Not, we have to go way back to 1859. God help us. Oh, 1859 and Kells and Wales will write books and they'll talk and they'll be, we don't want to go back to, don't have to go back to 1859. 1904 in Wales on the 11th of November when the power of God came. Oh. We want to come to a day when in Ulster, when in Tyrone, now there was a day when God came and routed the enemy. God bless you. Let us pray. Now I'll not be going to the door, but if you want to speak to me as others do, just come round the side, down to the back. I'll be there. If I can help you in any way. Father, Lord, all I ask, Lord, is take away what is being of ourselves, off the flesh. For Lord, often in the flight of preaching, we get carried away and we say things. Forgive us, Lord, if we have any way said anything, Lord, that's not conducive to the word of God and building up the people of God and glorifying our Savior. Lord, I pray that from this message this morning and as it goes out across the airwaves, Lord, that young men like Jonathan and the armor bearer will stand together and say, it's time. It's time to work. It's time, Lord, to work. We don't want to nauseate you anymore. We don't want to make you sick anymore. We don't want you to spew us out of your mouth anymore. We don't want, Lord, to grieve you anymore. Quench you anymore, hinder you anymore. Lord, Lord, forgive us for telling our people that this is normal. Lord, thank you for what you've done in COVID, Lord, but I haven't taken the message, Lord. Many people have not received, Lord, the, the message of COVID in the churches. Oh God, I pray that you'll not, I pray, Lord, that you'll restrain your hand. This thunderbolt from heaven that came in the end of December the other year, shaking and waking and showing us. Oh God, I pray. And we'll come out on Jonathan's side, it may be the small number. But it's the one that's going to get the victory. Answer her prayer. Accept her thanks. In the Savior's name. Amen.